You're listening to Healthcare Now Radio. Stand by for this just in the latest in healthcare innovation and technology trends with your HIT advisor, Justin Barnes. Thank you for tuning in, and welcome to This Just In. I'm your host, Justin Barnes. In these half-hour segments, I'll bring you the latest advancements in healthcare, innovation, public policy, and strategy. Today, our discussion will focus on innovation and entrepreneurialism in America, and we are broadcasting live from Tech Square in Atlanta, Georgia. While the innovation and technology sector runs strong in Atlanta, Atlanta is also known as a health IT capital of America. The region houses over 250 health IT companies, and thankfully, we keep growing. I have personally been fortunate enough to have two of these companies, and like most, we all spawned off the former HBO and company HPOC, which merged with McKesson back in 1999. If you've not checked out Atlanta's bustling healthcare and health IT ecosystem, I highly recommend you take a peek. It's a fun time and great people. So speaking of great people, I'm very excited about my guest today. He's a good friend, a colleague here at the local high-tech incubator, an author, and serial entrepreneur. KP Ready is a globally recognized expert on advanced technologies, including building information modeling, collaborative communication, artificial intelligence, mobile applications, and cloud computing. We all know KP for his disruptive innovations and true passion for supporting entrepreneurialism. Thanks for joining me live today, KP, in the studio. Thanks, Justin. It's great to be here. So, um, first of all, um, we're fortunate down here to have a phenomenal ecosystem, not just about technology, innovation, um, but then also, uh, I think, healthcare. And I know that a lot of your world and sector um, on engineering, and obviously you're a graduate here of Georgia Tech. Yes, I am. Uh, terrific. So, and obviously, talking about uh, a great time for Atlanta, and we're going to certainly get into the technology aspects and, and the innovation, but um, the weather today and the yeah. weather this week has been phenomenal down here. It has. Um, so, check out the South, certainly, uh, if you're out there and about um, beautiful weather. Um, so, KP, how'd you become an entrepreneur? I think um, it first started out of necessity. Uh, I was putting myself through college, and um, you, know, you can only work so many jobs and make so much, so I started... I'd actually started writing code when I was 12 years old, and so kind of turned that hobby into a way to make some extra money. So I uh, started building software, developing websites, whatever I could on the side to make some extra money to put myself through college. So I um, started to realize that, you know, working for yourself had both its, uh, had its challenges, clearly, but uh, there was a benefit if you could start to figure out how to do it right. Uh, very, very true. Um how have your motivations changed? I mean, obviously, starting off, uh, you know, at such a young age, so your motivation is probably a little bit different there. But as you, you know, became, um, you know, more successful as your innovation and, and opportunity grew, um, you know, how have you, when you look back, or how do your motivations change from then and now? Yeah, I think um, for myself and many, many others, you know, you start off in a very self-centered view of the world. You you look at your own bank account and how can I make a living and how can I make a better living and how can I do more and more and more. And you tend to have a very, very self-centered view of the world. And then you start to look at, wow, I'm, I'm doing pretty well for myself. I'm having my success. 
Uh, now I want to define myself by the next level of employees and the people that I affect. Um, and then, then you start seeing some former employees or co-investors uh, do successful and create wealth. And then you say, well, that was great. Now what can I do on a larger level? So I think what happens is you start with yourself, and then you really start looking at how can I do things that impact uh, society, how can it impact a sector, how can it impact people. And you start to think bigger about the impact, knowing that if you do great things, you don't have to worry about your own bank account. You're just going to go affect others, and it rolls right back to you. Yeah, actually, I couldn't agree more. I think, obviously, and thankfully, the more success that we all have, the more we give back to our community. And we, really, we realize that our community is the reason for a lot of our success. Absolutely. You know, we've, we're fortunate with great industries, but then you also look at your support structure around you. And I think that's also a, a key to success is not only all your ideas and, and what God has given you for blessings, but then also, you know, your support structure around you, the friends that you have, the supporters uh, you know, it gets back to, uh, you know, like I said, the community. So talking about the community, um, talk about Atlanta. And, and you've chosen Atlanta. You're a Georgia Tech grad. Obviously, we're both here at the Georgia Tech Incubator, uh, the ATDC. Um, so what do you like about Atlanta and our ecosystem here? Well, I'm, I'm pretty fortunate. Uh, over the last five, six years uh, spent, I don't know if it's fortunate, but I spent mm-hmm. at least 250 days a year on the road. So spent a lot of time in other ecosystems, uh, whether it was the Valley or New York or Chicago. Um, really spent a lot of time looking at other ecosystems. And then when it came time to, to settle down a little bit, um, being an Atlanta person, it was natural to be here. Um, but it also gave me good context. I think one challenge you have in living in an ecosystem, um, you tend to get very myopic around what you think the ecosystem is good at and what you think the challenges are. And I think doing my tour of duty around all these different ecosystems really helped me get perspective and and really um, looking at the unique characteristics of Atlanta. I think we have uh, this challenge that we want to compare ourselves. We want to be Silicon Valley of the South yeah. or we want to be whatever it is. And the reality is we're none of those. Um, and I think there's, there's several characteristics in Atlanta that are unique. One... We have great access to a global economy between the airport, between visibility. Uh, having been a guy that grew up here pre-Olympics, uh, you know, before the Olympics, I would travel internationally and say I'm from Atlanta, and they would say Atlantic City, <laughs> you know, because they they really had no idea. Post Olympics, all of a sudden Atlanta is on the map. Uh, so we do. We have, and then we have a great Fortune 1000 community here with the likes with the likes of Coca-Cola and Home Depot and Georgia Pacific and all these large companies. So. We're at the center of a global economy here in Atlanta, which I think is uniquely different than a lot of the others. Very true. Um, I think we also collaborate fairly well. One of the things about our corporate ecosystem here uh, is that we don't have a lot of competitors. So if I go do something with um, innovation at Coca-Cola, they will actually refer me to Home Depot, to uh, AT&T, to whoever, because they don't compete. When you look at on the East Coast, a, a city like New York, it's all financial services. Yeah, and they all compete. They all compete. So they're not going to help you walk across the street and do something different there. So we, we have a great ecosystem of non-competitive Fortune 1000 companies that collaborate very well um, and are very open to that collaboration. Three, um, you know, I, I think our quality of life here is really well. You know, you, you talked about the weather. Um, when I look at Atlantans complaining about traffic, 
I kind of say, you know, you should spend more time in L.A. and New York. Yeah. You know, we really don't spend that much time. We know we choose to spend time in our cars because we think we need 15 acres outside of the city. <laughs> but that's a choice that we make. You know, right. the reality is um, the quality of life is here uh, here is really good. You don't spend a lot of time in your cars. True. You, you, can in, you, know, you can insert work-life balance um, into the lifestyle here. And I think we have a very friendly uh, community that works well together. Um, now, I think from that perspective, we're getting good visibility. We have universities like Georgia Tech and Emory, and uh, I've been seeing some amazing things out of Georgia State and UGA. Yeah, I agree. Um, Morehouse is doing interesting things. So we, we have a great ecosystem of academic research here in Atlanta to, to leverage off of. Uh, but I think fundamentally, we, we're still nascent. You know, so a lot of people say, what do I like? Why do I stay here? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I said, well, the other ecosystems are already formed. Um, which is good news, bad news. You know what you're dealing with. Right. Ours is still in formation, which means um, I feel like I have the ability to influence and be part of how this ecosystem develops and continues to develop. Very, very true. Now, you bring up our diversity, um, and we're diverse on several levels. You see, obviously, the, not just back into the civil rights time and to where we are today, but the diversity of our companies, and, and I couldn't agree more. And they really do support each other, do send each other across the street to, to assist. And, um, and certainly on the quality of life side, again, I couldn't agree more. We, um, it's one of the reasons we moved back. Uh, we had a place here in Atlanta and also a place out in Silicon Valley when we started uh, Healings, which is now Relay Health. And uh, I just was traveling back and forth for two years uh, for you know East Coast, West Coast, and I, just, I couldn't do it after a while, and I had to pick one spot to be. And I picked Atlanta mainly because of the quality of life and quality of living. And, and I completely agree that um, you know the traffic can be difficult in some areas, but traffic is prog- traffic means progress. If you don't have traffic in your area, that's a problem. <laughs> your community is probably not progressing uh, in growing. And so, traffic uh, does does equal opportunity in, in most ways and uh, in progress. So uh, you know, and I'm so I'm happy to have a little bit. But you can choose how much traffic you want to be, and that's one thing. It's ble- you know, a blessing about this area. Yeah. Um, you can choose to be inside. You can be. You can choose to be outside the perimeter, wherever you want to be. And, and there's the great thing again about our ecosystem here is there's opportunity all over our metro region. It's not just in downtown Atlanta. It's not just in Dunwoody. It's not just in Alpharetta. It's not just incoming or Johns Creek or Kennesaw. It, it, they're all over. Right. Uh, and our university structures are also. Um, very diversely um, scattered around our entire metro region. So, yeah, I agree with everything you said. That's phenomenal. So I know that you're affiliated with a few funds uh, as well. So industry-wide, not just our ecosystem, but industry-wide, what markets and sectors are you most excited about? And when I say that, kind of the billion-dollar plays, the next big things, what do you think, uh, what are you you already excited about and what are your funds excited about? Yeah, so I I think we don't really look at industries per se, right? We, We look at large problems. And we look at large problems that require innovative and interesting solutions. Um, So from a fund perspective, we look at things with high technical risk uh, because we believe that if you can solve large problems through innovation, the market will be there. You know, if I can develop a a battery that lasts 100% longer than the last battery, I'm really not that worried about the market adoption. I I know there's a market for that. That's right. Now, being able to do that is a whole other story. So a lot of the things that we invest in and are looking at are things um, that are very pre-revenue. Uh, we're not looking at things that um, we, we kind of feel like early stages of development of a company, revenue can actually be a distraction. 
Uh, I look at my first startup, and we did fairly well. We went through a, a public offering, and we're very successful. But we probably could have been 10 times as successful mm. if we picked our head up and looked at larger problems. Um, because the challenge with revenues, that means you have a customer. And when you have a customer, mm-hmm. you have to serve that customer and be a good steward of their money and, That's right. and all those things, which can sometimes stifle innovation in the early stages of a company. So we're, we're really looking at um, people as well, you know, the people aspect, mm-hmm. people that are true leaders and innovators in a technology because they can't give us a track record of, oh, I've taken these three companies public. That's not what we're investing in. We're investing in technical talent. And we'd like to say that if we're investing in someone that they're uh, that the technical team is well recognized and well known in the space and and highly credentialed and have uh, done some and, and we do like to see some failures. You know, technical failures. Yeah. You know, look at history. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's been several technical failures yeah. that have yielded great innovation. And so you want people that are very comfortable with failing, and uh, and figuring it out. You know, failures help you kind of solve the puzzle at a deeper level. I uh, I couldn't agree more. Great advice. Um, so when you look out, you've already mentioned Coca-Cola and some of our big institutions here. Um, I'm a big fan of entrepreneurialism as well as entrepreneurialism. Uh, so, you know, what's your advice there? Because not everybody wants to step out, take that risk, right. um, you know, kind of throw everything to the wind and, and go for uh, what's in their head or, or whatever they feel the next innovation could be or next big thing. Um, so they stay inside of organizations. Entrepreneurialism, is just for my audience, is really the innovation that we can spur within large companies, large organizations. I know companies like Coca-Cola uh, and Equifax and, and a lot of our – and Home Depot, they do focus on those types of strategies. Um, but, uh, but a lot of people – but most small and mid-sized companies do not. Right. So uh, – but, but, you know, my company, Greenway Medical, we could have certainly uh, probably benefited even more – from entrepreneurialism uh, than than focusing only on what we were what we were good at and, and you know it, was, it all worked out great but you know entrepreneurialism I think is very important to the core of certainly all midsize and, right. and larger companies. What's just some thoughts and advice there? So um, I get called on to, to run workshops and spend a lot of time with the Fortune 1000 around disruption, innovation, and uh, whatever any buzzword they feel mm-hmm. that they need to adopt. Right, right. Um, one of the biggest trends that I see that um, the really corporations need to get focused on around disruption innovation is they really use their position, their brand, their infrastructure as a crutch. Um, I was with um, Coca-Cola a few weeks ago and running one of their innovation, one of their disruption programs, and every one of the projects required the infrastructure of Coca-Cola. So when they asked me what I thought, my feeling was, well, of course, you know, Coca-Cola can take anything, put it into a can fire up the marketing machine, and they will sell $50 million of something. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I was a startup coming up with my own beverage and I didn't have the brand, the supply chain, uh, the R&D, and everything else, I would probably have to be much more innovative. So my, my thoughts are that large corporations in many ways are using their infrastructure as a baseline versus kind of an advantage. Um, I, you know, my suggestion is take your top 10 interesting people mm-hmm. and yeah. strip them of their Coca-Cola car, strip them of that card, put them in a room somewhere, and tell them you get no help. We're going to cover your salaries <laughs> so you can be comfortable and pay yeah. your mortgages. Yeah. Uh, you don't get to work with our R&D. You don't get to work. You know, Coca-Cola is a data company, right? You don't get to have access to consumer data. Uh, you don't get any of that. Right. You get exactly what a five-person startup would get, which is access to the Internet and a laptop 
and we'll do one better. We'll pay you a salary. Yeah, exactly. Right? We'll yeah. pay you a salary, which <laughs> many of them don't. And then whatever they develop and incubate and disrupt when attached to the, to the machine will have all those advantages, right? And one of the things, like, you know, when we talk about the fund, I have a term that I, you know, I, I doubt I coined it. I probably heard it somewhere, which is the unfair advantage. And technology can be an unfair advantage. Market can be an unfair advantage. And so if you can contemplate a large company breaking off five or ten people, putting them in a room with none of the infrastructure, when they actually launch this corporate startup, their unfair advantage will be that they are Coke, right? They're, they're not, instead of just using it as an advantage. Right. And a lot of it's stripping away that core infrastructure that a lot of these companies have and saying, go lock yourself in a room and go figure out something new and we'll see you in six months and we'll give you no help. Yeah. Um, because I think most entrepreneurs know that um, it, it's really that, that fire in the belly um, isn't always there initially. It gets developed over time. And um, corporations are very comfortable, you know. Yeah, no, that uh, that confidence that you build over time and only can be achieved over time mm-hmm. um, does fuel innovation, entrepreneurialism, and in, in that spirit. I mean, certainly can have components of that spirit early on, right. but as you grow in confidence and success, it, it just that that flame gets it burns brighter. Absolutely, it gets stronger. You know, and and saying here's a budget. Go find your office space, go to Ikea and put your furniture, you know, <laughs> all those things that big corporations people take for granted. Um, we all know that those are all the experiences that drive uh, that entrepreneurship and, and really kind of being a startup innovator. Yeah, sometimes you have to put your own table together, you know, before you can start work. And, and a lot of these folks in a corporate setting have no idea where the furniture comes from, <laughs> where, how much they pay for office space. Healthcare. Healthcare, none of that, right? <laughs> So let them get a taste of what it looks like to, to live out on the line. And um, and then when they bring it back home, they'll have every unfair advantage because they've already bought it, a, you know, built it from a, a very raw level. Yeah, I think actually it can be a human capital um, recruiting tool as well. I mean, mm-hmm. to people love to have their ideas that, taken forth. They love right. to brainstorm. Um, and so you actually, I think it can be invigorating for your your current executives and your key team players, but also maybe recruiting new ones, knowing that that's an environment they're going to walk into and have that opportunity at some point. It's, it's really interesting. I'm, I'm working with um, one Fortune 1000 right now, and I'm playing what I would call startup CEO for their team, mm-hmm. uh, cool. which my management style being a serial entrepreneur, inherently very different than a general manager or a vice president. Um, so when they say things like, well, we need, it's, you know, go figure it out. Yeah. Um, so part of it's the management structure of you know, show me a report. My, you know, my view is show me five bullet points. Tell me what <laughs> you're doing. What are we doing today? What are we going to go figure out? And um, so I'm kind of lending my startup management expertise to some of these large companies because even though they can pull them out of the corporation, they still don't know how to manage them in, in a way that really drives and fuels innovation. Sometimes large companies focus on all the wrong things. Oh, okay. Couldn't agree more. Wrong. So on a personal note, what would you do be what would you consider to be your greatest achievement? So you know one of the things that you do as a entrepreneur is you're so heads down um, that you you get so focused on a few things and and you let other things go. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for me, one of the biggest things I've really learned and achieved has been balance. Mm-hmm. yeah, you know balancing my life around being effective, um, being patient. Um, not you know not working. I still work very hard. Yeah. Um, but knowing where to work and how to work, 
and then also knowing when to take time off and when to spend time with family and friends and um my friends used to always joke around. We knew we always know when you're starting something new because you disappear for a year. Right, exactly. Right, you're off the rate. You're off the grid <laughs> for a year. We don't see you at anything. Yeah. And I think one of the things that's really hard when you're younger um, in in your entrepreneurial career, you tend to feel like that's all that matters. And I think what I've really it's it's been a challenge for me. And I think I finally have reached where I'm at least aware. I don't say I'm not, I'm not saying I do it well all <laughs> yeah, the time, I get it. right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but I do have greater awareness of things that are more important than going into work and making sure that, that piece of code gets written or, or that customer gets sold, yeah. um, and really finding that balance, which is it's it's a daily challenge. Actually, yeah, that's kind of where I am right now. I mean, after uh, the success that we had with Greenway, and now I'm taking about a year to. Um, to just reconnect and, and kind of take a deep breath as a, as an individual and, and really focus on family. And, you know, I know that we both have always had strong, you know, family relations and family ties, but like you said, our friends, our family sometimes suffer when we're in the middle of our, our ventures and, and going to market. And so uh, learning that healthy balance, I think that's what I'm focusing now. And I'm sure I'll do a, another startup or, or, you know, at some point, but, um, taking the time now to, to focus on family and enjoy the holidays even, the whole holiday season. Uh, I know that you and I have um, had a little bit of fun together and we have our, uh, you know, this great holiday party. So just being able to spend time with friends right. and spend time with the community and reconnecting with everybody and, and even um, building out some of our charitable um, sectors of our personal life uh, and to really focus there. So I agree that balance is something that you only learn over time. And you can only truly respect over time, uh, and it gets more and more valuable uh, over time. Because uh, I think when we were younger, we all got the same advice that we're giving today. So yeah. the advice hasn't changened, <laughs> and I don't think the people that were giving the advice to exactly. were going to listen either. But you still give it anyway, yeah. right? So um, all the things like you know, with my kids, you know, you, you, I heard as soon as they were born, you know, enjoy them while you can. They right. grow up so fast, yeah. and you're like, yeah, 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 sure. And then you realize so you know. now they're 14 and 12. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's like, wow, you know, they do grow up really fast. <laughs> and then so you, you, give, you espouse that advice to other people and they don't listen either. So, yeah. So, and this might um, kind of correlate, but uh, looking back, what's one thing that you wish you understood about entrepreneurship before you ever even got started? So, um, a good friend of mine the other day, we're, we're talking about passion. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, look up the definition of passion. And if you look up the definition of passion, one, one of the definitions is suffering. And so if you look at religious uh, connotations of passion, it all has to do with suffrage and suffering. And one of the things that I think entrepreneurs get really caught up in is it has to be hard. You know, I'm so passionate, it has to be hard. And there is this suffrage that goes into it. And the reality is, if it's that hard... Yeah, there's the idea that it's that hard, no one else has done it. Um, there might be a reason why no one else has done it. And, and you look at how products get adopted and the speed at which we're growing companies now. Yeah. Um, you really have to ask yourself, you know, is, is Pat, you know, am I being passionate? And, and, and that being the definition of suffering. And I'm just pushing and pushing the rope. And, you know, um, wearing it as a badge of honor that I work you know, 24 hours. I wrote code for 24 hours straight. You know, when I was younger, I would look at that just just along with the other guys. You yeah. Know, that, oh, that's a bad. I can't believe you did that. That's awesome, right? Now I look at it and say, well, what's wrong? Yeah. Why are you writing code for 24 hours straight? Right. Yeah. What's happening? What is wrong? Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that have that badge of honor of sending out that email at 3 in the morning. 
And my response usually <laughs> is, you know, are you traveling internationally? Like, why are you sending emails at 3, 3 in the morning? Right. And, you know, what's wrong? No one's going to tell you that's a good time to receive an email or certainly send Absolutely. one, but no one's going to read. Yeah, I Well, agree. I relate it to calling someone. You know, show up to someone's house at 3 in the morning, and, it don't, and, and their first reaction will be, what's wrong? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we receive an email at 3 in the morning, and we think it's okay. So, you know, my advice is that really focus on, you know, figuring out what's easy. It doesn't, you know, passion doesn't have to, you know, like I said, one definition is suffering. It doesn't have to be that. And really have awareness and listen. Also spend time outside of your own sector. Okay. There's, there's a tendency, you know, you see it in health IT. Yeah, for sure. Well, you know, hospitals do things. Well, that's great. So what you will do is continue to be another thread in that cloth of that sector. Spend time outside, you know. I actually spend a lot of time in the entertainment industry. I'm fascinated. I have no artistic bone in my body. I probably do somewhere, but I I haven't found it. Um, But I spend a lot of time. And actually, one of the things that I've really taken hold of is um, the rap music industry here in Atlanta Mm -hmm. and how they've become so successful and so popular and finding out that there is a science behind that. And studying it, and people are like, "What are you doing with rap artists?" Right. Like, I'm studying how. How did yeah. we do this? Yeah. You know, um, how did we develop this thriving music community here in the film community? Very true. And uh, so, how do you continue to learn? And and there's this tendency to throw all your effort into a sector that you belong to, and you spend no other time uh, outside of your sector. And I think that's really important as well. No, very good point. Um, and actually, we're at we're at time. So phenomenal. Thank you very much, KP. Oh, thanks for um, yeah, and, and to close that last piece, I, I agree. There's a component there of, of working smarter rather than harder, uh, and so uh, and that's something that I've always said, and, and I couldn't agree more with. But but thank you again um, for joining me today. A true pleasure to have you here. And let's maybe even follow up in six months and see how our ecosystem has evolved, and if we've actually followed some of the advice that we've given. Um, so uh, thank you, everybody, for joining today. My next show actually is going to be Healthcare Data Exchange and Interoperability in 2015, what our country can look forward to. I'll have a true leader, another friend, and a pioneer uh, in the studio with me. So, KP, again, thank you very much for joining me, uh, and I wish you con- con- continued success, not only with your current ventures, but also in your, just your overall entrepreneurialism and the innovations that you continue to create. Uh, and think, let's not forget, our innovations, you know, we create jobs. We continue to fuel our economy locally as well as nationally. Uh, so I think very important to be an entrepreneur and certainly, a, 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 you know, some good advice to offer others when they get into this world. Um, so thank you, everybody, for listening and, and joining us today. And please tune in weekdays at 2.30 Eastern and 11.30 a.m. Pacific. As always, you can track me on Twitter at HIT Advisor and use the hashtag ThisJustIn so we can respond to your comments from the show. In addition, all of my content will be posted on my site, justinbarnes.com. Thanks, everyone, and have a terrific week.